Hello, my name's Jane Dacre. Welcome to this Medical Women Talking podcast. Medical Women Talking is a series of recordings of informal interviews with a range of women doctors from different specialties and backgrounds who've had successful careers in medicine. I'm a proud physician and have had the privilege of a very fulfilling career. As I get older and have reflected on my own journey, I've become increasingly passionate about helping other women to achieve their potential in medicine. Combining life and a career can be challenging, and it sometimes feels extremely difficult to keep going. The women in these conversations have all found a way to thrive and have achieved great things. I hope that you'll be inspired by their stories. The podcasts are available to download in any order so that you can listen and be inspired whilst doing other things. Happy listening. Today, I'm talking to Professor Dame Parveen Kumar. Parveen Kumar has become a household name because of her book, Kumar and Clark. She is an inspirational woman who's had an incredible career. She's also had an incredible life with a childhood uh, starting as a refugee, moving around the country. Please listen carefully. There'll be several pearls in this podcast. Tell me about your career journey. When did you decide to become a doctor? I suppose I always thought I would be a doctor. I probably, I suppose, at the age of about 12, 13. Uh, and I think the things that really intrigued me about medicine was, first of all, the caring aspect. Uh, and the other was the fact that um, a lot of it involves science. And at that stage, I wanted to do both. So you had quite an interesting childhood, didn't you? Tell me about that. Yeah, well, it's a rather strange childhood. So I was born in Lahore, which then was in India. It was that long ago. Uh, and then during the partition, the member of the British came across and Mount Latin was there. And they decided to divide Pakistan from, from India. And everybody expected Lahore to go into, uh, into India. But in fact, they, they drew the line the other way around. And that caused a huge amount of... Um, uh, well, problems in the people had to cross the border, millions lost their homes, uh, they were killing people, and if you were in a train or you wanted to cross the border by train, if the train comes out of the tunnel, they would blow it up. And I remember standing, uh, you know, at the bottom of the garden, watching hordes going past saying, Pakistan's in the bar, longing Pakistan. Uh, so we were three of us, my three bro- two brothers and myself, and my mother, we were actually in the war. Uh, and had to get across to India. And the only way that my mother, who was a remarkable lady to have gone through all this, uh, the only way to get across was she got to some places in an um, army convoy, which was going across. And I think for two days, we travelled in the convoy into Delhi. Uh, and, of course, Delhi was in turmoil. And luckily, I think for the first um, few days, we stayed with some friends. But then... I think because of the army, and so they were in the army, you know, these particular friends were. So we then got um, a place in uh, a, a refugee camp. Uh, rather odd having a refugee camp in your own country, and you're staying in a refugee camp. Um, so we were there for quite some time until my mother managed to contact my father. Because remember, we didn't have uh, phones and telephones that you could just phone up. 
Um, and my father being sent by Nehru to um, China uh, for the United Nations. So he had been seconded to the United Nations. So eventually my mother, so he went really then from Delhi to Calcutta by another two day long train trip, uh, got onto a plane and it was actually all fun for us really. We quite enjoyed all this, seeing all these strange things. Um, and these were the old plays, the old American clippers, where um, you actually had a room, you know, with, with, with curtains. So we, we quite enjoyed this. And I think we went to Bangkok, Hong Kong, and then eventually to Shanghai, where we met up with our father. And um, he then had to find somewhere for us to stay. So we stayed in a hotel with the Americans in Shanghai on the Bund. And then we went to Nanking, as it was called in those days. Um, had a lovely house, and um, my brother was old enough to go to the American school, so he would have been about five, six, I was uh, a couple of years younger. Um, so then instead of ayahs who looked after you, we had armors, uh, the nannies, um, and they sort of looked after us, although we didn't speak Chinese. Um, and then, so that was the first whammy, the second whammy for my poor mother and my father. Uh, was that um, we were in nationalist China with um, obviously United Nations and Americans um, and then Mao, um, huge progress was coming down China and we had to leave very uh, very quickly. So my father uh, got us all onto a plane and um, sent us back to India. And I think he must have got on one of the last planes leaving Shanghai uh, and came to India. Uh, and then um, now my father was working, you know, so we were back now because we lost everything in both places now. So you had to start again, um, you know, from being a regionally well-off family, having absolutely nothing. But now that he's working, we, we uh, all went, were sent to boarding schools. So it was an English boarding school in the um, uh, foothills of the Himalayas, or the Himalayas, as we should really call them. Um, and so we were brought up by... By the English, really. And then uh, the third tragedy for my poor mother was that my father then lost his eyesight. And he'd just been appointed as uh, economic advisor for the whole of the Punjab, um, which is a big uh, county. Um, so my mother, who was never brought up to work, as women didn't in those days, had to take on the mantle of being the, the breadwinner. And luckily, my grandfather, my mother's father, uh, believed in education, and education not just for the sons, for the daughters as well. So she was sent off, um, obviously she went to Kinead College, which was the college where everybody went, uh, and then to the government college. So she did um, a bachelor's degree first in economics, and then did a master's. I think she must have been one of two or three women with thousands of men in the college. Um, so really remarkable in those days. So we were talking about the, the 30s, I suppose, 1930s, um, where, you know, women just didn't go to university and you didn't. Uh, so really, it, it was great, really, on the, on the part of my grandfather. So then we, she decided, well, you know, what can I do? Where, you know, when my father lost his eyesight, she couldn't afford the, the fees for the boarding school. So she decided to bring me uh, across England. Uh, where she started working and we went to, uh, went to school here. And then my younger brother came across and my older brothers came across. 
Um, and I'd always wanted to do medicine, and there was a slight problem, you know, would we be able to afford it? Um, and um, amazingly, my mother managed to send us all to university and, you know, get good jobs. So, so you, you've talked about internal drivers. Were there people around you or, or role models that influenced you at that stage? I think at that stage, um, I, I think really only from books, really. I, I remember reading... I don't know why I suddenly remember this, but I remember reading this book on Damien the leper. I, now, heaven knows, I must have gone into the library and picked up this book and thought of it. And it was about, again, uh, in fact, I think it was probably a monk, but it was actually giving and uh, looking after people. Um, and I think my mother always, um, always told me, you can do anything you like, even as a woman. And, and I think that's been a sort of mantra to my life that, you know, mantra to my life that I would, whatever I wanted to do, I'll have a go at it. Okay, so we're going to get disappointments, but I've got that go, let me get on and do it my way, really. So you went to Bart's Medical School? So, yeah, so I so we applied, um, and my when my older brother was, he got into Imperial to do aeronautical engineering. Um, I applied, I got into Cambridge, but couldn't afford it and got into Bath's. Uh, I applied to all the medical schools in London, and um, uh, Bath seemed wonderful. And then my younger brother went to Oxford. So um, I think my elder brother probably would have done medicine, but he had to do something that could support the family, or he felt he ought to, because he was the... Uh... So there can't have been that many girls in medical school when you were there? No, there weren't. Um, so the first year, there were about eight of us. Um, so, um, and I don't know how many boys, so I mean, the, it was very few, but I then did a BSc, a physiology a BSc, so stayed back a year. And then the university suddenly said that unless parts took more women, they would take away the grant. Um, so the following year, I think there were about 25 women. So I Out sort of, of how many? How many in uh, There would have been 100 and, I don't know, 50-something. I, I can't remember the, what the, the numbers were uh, from the boys' point of view, um, but there weren't too many boys, you know, too many girls around. Um, so, you know, everybody said, so, you know, did you play any sports? So the answer is you had to because there weren't enough girls. So I captained the ladies' hockey team. Um, I think I played lacrosse, netball, tennis, you know, and I, oh, and I, sorry, I used to fence. So I started the fencing club, um, which was, um, you know, which I could have done at uh, at university level, but um, I stayed with the medical school because I was, I started it, so I had to sort of pursue it. So I really fenced for um, Barts, but occasionally fenced for the university. And you chose to become a physician and a gastroenterologist? Yeah, so so I I think um, I, I, I think I always wanted to be a physician. I think surgery didn't really intrigued me in any way. Um, and the reason I think I chose gastroenterology was uh, this amazing chap called Tony Dawson, Anthony Dawson, Sir Anthony Dawson, who came in Beijing, uh, who came down from, I think, from uh, the Royal Free. Uh, and he, in a way, was a role model because he was incredibly bright, um, had done a lot of research, and also was a great physician. Uh, so I wanted to do gastroenterology. Amazing. And you've had a long career in, <coughs> in um, gastroenterology. Yeah, no, that was the, that was the other problem because um, I was the only girl. 
for 20 years. So how was that? What's it been like? Being, being <laughs> well, I'm sure you've again? been through the similar sort of, uh, you know, thing. Yeah. I mean, so all the jokes were on you, you know, and you oh, you call Flossie and, you know, they, 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 whatever they, they said. And I, you know, it was just like, uh, you know, water off a duck's back. But the one occasion when I felt I'd arrived was when, oh, I better not mention the name, but, but uh, one of the boys said, was telling a rather risky joke, and another boy said, you, you can't do that, we've got a lady present. And he kind of looked around and said, oh, Pav, she's a chap, and carried on telling the risky joke. And I, and I think because of the only one, they did look after me. So I, I never felt, um, you know, okay, they would say things about women, but so what? You weren't bothered. You, you, I didn't, you, you didn't bother me didn't at all. To be. And, and it sounds as if they treated you with respect. Well, yes. I mean, I had to turn up for the, you know, the football and the, the rugby. I mean, I had to turn up and watch them all. And um, no, we, we had great fun. And, you know, they, they would, um, yeah, they treated me, I think. But I think not, not only that, though, in, in the generation that you came through in, it's quite remarkable that not only were you a woman in a, a quite a male specialty, but you also married and had children. So how did, how did you handle all of that? Well, just the same as you did. <laughs> really. So, um, it, it, but, it, you know, it was a compromise. I mean, you had to compromise on, on, on something. And I was really lucky to have married David because um, he understood. Uh, and I remember when, um, just, just on an aside, when I, I wanted to be uh, an MD, in those days we did MDs rather than PhDs, uh, my supervisor said, you don't need that, you're a woman. And that, of course, like a red rag to a bull, really. I mean, I wasn't going to have anybody say that to me. And David supported me. So we were very lucky that we were both working so we could get cares. We had nannies and then au pairs. Um, but, uh, you, know, it, 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 you know, when a child was ill, you just felt awful leaving a child. But yet you had to go and go to see the patient. Uh, and it was compromised. Maybe, maybe I got it wrong. Maybe I was concentrating more on the medicine and looking after patients than the family. Um, but we had we had a great time. In, you know, in holidays we saw each obviously saw each other much more. Well, um, and you, you you're still a close family now, so you got yeah, to, very close. You right. Can't have got it that wrong, very can lovely. you? <laughs> well, I think they probably. Um, uh, girls when they were young resented that a bit and particularly over the book because um that was holidays weekends um every night um and um you know we you know we'd go on holiday and um say go skiing and i would be sat in front of a window with with, with a piece of paper and wave goodbye to them as david took the girls off skiing uh and you know it was it was awful that you couldn't be there. But then you know, obviously. But the it. book has been a fantastic success, hasn't it? It's had the Kumar and Clark. Tell us yeah, about how did that how did that all come about? Um, well I was doing my MD at the time, so doing research, but uh, we had this rather sort of Hammersmithian type of way we we did research for for three probably six months. Then you were on the walls, and you did endoscopy, then you did outpatients. So you sort of, over five years, would do everything and get trained um, as gastroenterologist, as a physician, uh, and in research. 
Um, and one day a letter arrived uh, in a, on my desk and um, it was asking me to write a book for, write a chapter of gastroenterology for, for a book that somebody was starting. And in those days, all the letters were put out because they were, they were typed with carbon copies. Um, and uh, I would just go in, in on a table by the secretary. I would just go in and look at mine and sign it. Um, the boys obviously went and read everybody else's as well. So my, my supervisor, Mike Clark, stormed into my room and said, what's this? And I said, somebody's asked me to write a chapter. And are you going to do it? I said, yes, was, as you've obviously read in my letter. Uh, thanking them and say I'd be delighted. And he said, you can't do that. And I said, I don't see why. He said, you know nothing about gastroenterology. I said, I'm in gastroenterology. And then he said, you can't do it because I own you. And I thought, because he was my supervisor, he said, you haven't written those papers and you've done the work. Get on and write the papers. You don't want to do anything rubbishy like this. Uh, and, of course, I was another little red rag. Um, so anyway, then when he realised he, I was determined to do it, he said he'd help, and that's how Kumar Clark started. So just as a chapter in gastroenterology, it's now chapters in everything. Yeah, it? then writing the whole thing, and, and um, you know, we asked, we told we keep it local, so we asked all the people at Barts, um, and they were so nice. I mean, we, we rewrote the chapters 16, 18 times, and there was one person I remember who said, Palmin, will you be putting my name on it? And I said, of course, you know, you wrote it. He said, well, I only recognise the word A-N-D in it as mine. Because <laughs> we, uh, and they were so good to let us do it. And, and I remember, you know, people um, who taught me, Jim Alpers, who taught me everything I knew. Uh, and, you know, he went back and said, could you? And he said, look, you're the gaffer. If it uh, fails, you take the blame. But, but it's it been succeeds. a phenomenal success, hasn't it, worldwide? Well, do you know, in a way, thank God, I sort of topped myself because the amount of work we put in. But, you know, we, 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 uh, the problem really, Jane, as you remember, remember the original Davidson, was just page after page of black and white. And it's just prose and it wasn't really succinct. Um, you know, they say you might consider giving this. Well, if you consider it and you've got it wrong, you kill the patient. That's not the drug you need. And I wanted it fun. I wanted it easy to read. Um, I wanted bullet points. So all these bullet points of whatever we said, we actually looked back at the original data. It was a huge amount of work. Um, uh, and often people say, you know, like headaches with, um, and say, well, headaches are hypertension. Well, they're not. You know, it's only if you get malignant or really bad, then you might get a headache. So, I mean, lots of stupid things that were with a sort of mantra of, of, of medicine. We had to redo and get the data and say, no, it wasn't true. So, but at the same time as doing that, you were also rising through the, the hierarchy. Yes, so that was going on in the background, including bringing up kids. Yeah, and, and, uh, and being doing a lot of medical education. The students yeah. loved you, didn't well, they? Well, I loved, I loved teaching. And I, I mean, it was just, aren't we lucky? It's such a privilege to teach. I just loved doing that. And, um, you know, I, I sort of did go around looking to see how other people teach. Um, remember, you weren't uh, appointed as a consultant for your teaching abilities. It was for what research you did. And I think I well, must be one of the few people that actually took myself off for a weekend course on how to teach. Um, uh, it didn't add much to what I was doing already, but it was worthwhile knowing that what you were doing was correct. And I went uh, going to McMaster to look at PBL and how they taught there and bring up 
they back the uh, you know back the data here, and then they um, started. Um, uh, do you remember you had you were clinical uh, or college representatives? So yes, for the, for so, the college, for the RCP. RCP. So I was an RCP regional deputy regional advisor, in fact. Um, and then I became the that was a college, and then there was a clinical which was run by the Postgraduate Medical Education. Uh, and then I mean, this Jack, Jack Tinker came around and um, looked around at what I've been doing with. And then he said, um, um, he sacked the other um, person who was doing the postgraduate and said, um, I, mean, I want you to take this on. I want you, we want to model the director of postgraduate education on you from what you're doing. So this will be the first one in the country. Uh, and very kindly said, here's a budget. And, and um, you know, you can um, appoint, uh, I think the college gave me a, a, sec a postgraduate secretary. And um, I was doing things in teams and she and I just said, right, okay, let's, how should we do, how should we do this? Um, and so I set it up for Bart and the Homerton uh, and got a, uh, uh, somebody to, to help me, you know, to be the, the deputy head so that they, they saw what I was doing and we all did it together. And then when Barts and the Homerton split, we joined with the London. Um, and then the London director said, could I take on London and Barts? And that was a phenomenal thing because we overnight, because remember this is doing an ordinary job as well. Overnight we had to change the programs and the, the rotors of, I don't know, several hundred junior staff and registrars. And also consultants, because they were all going like that. So anyway, we set it all up. And we set it up in a... Uh, uh, I walked around with London. I'd never been there. Um, and said, you know, what's that you know, building? You know, what's that building? And then there was one which had no lights on. I said, what's that building? And they said, oh, it's owned by the, the trust or something. And I said, right, I'll have that. <laughs> so they, I got them to refurbish and we did it. And then, if you remember, you and I were the the first um, female um, team. We were, we were quite unusual at the time. Totally unusual. Well, never had that. Never happened before. Purple ladies. That's right. They had colour schemes and they were for for, um, <laughs> for firms. But I think then, if you remember, what we did was because we all had to have two consultant wardrobes, and you and I were both doing something different. So I did Monday morning where I did general medicine, gastroenterology, and rheumatology. And you did Thursdays where you did general medicine, rheumatology, and gastroenterology. And all the really ill, sick patients we obviously visited every day. But by doing that, you set up the, amazingly, the first um, uh, clinical skills laboratory here. Yeah, well, we, I mean, it, it feels like a bit of a, a golden age. If you look back, um, how does that all make you feel? Well, I, I think in a way, in retrospect, I mean, we did what was wanted to be done. In retrospect, rather pioneering, really. I know, funny, it didn't feel like that at the time, did it? Just we just and... did what we needed to do, yeah. didn't we? It was, um, it was so, fun. So in all careers, there are good bits and, and bad bits. So what would be, what are your best bits and, and what maybe hasn't gone so well? Start with the good bits. Uh, well, I think there's so many good bits. I mean, I have to say, I love getting out of bed to work for the NHS. I mean, I have to say that because I just love the NHS. And I think the, the good bits were, um, uh, well, 
the best bits were when patients got better, really. Uh, but on top of that was the teamwork. We all did it, and we all did it together. And there was that wonderful spirit, which then, of course, also, you know, fed down to the students. Because your students that you were given were your students, and you would make sure in the six to nine weeks or whatever they were given you, you made sure that they were okay and they were looked after and, um, you know, went through their CVs and, you know, what would you like to do and how can we help you and so on. So there was a lovely spirit, which I think I missed. I think doing endoscopy, the team, you know, you, you've got a patient there and the whole team worked like a, you know, a well-oiled machine, um, uh, you know, to, to get a happy and live patient at the end of it, which was lovely. And, and what about times when maybe it wasn't so good? Have you have you got some lows that, um, that you might want to share? Do you know, I don't get low, but I, I think I I, um, I did find that it was a lot of pressure. Uh, and I and I look at the junior doctors now, they don't have that lovely team system, that firm system to fall back on and, and, and anxiety and uh, depression. But I'm trying to think of lows. Um, I don't know, you just took... Everything on your stride in your stride. Yeah, maybe you maybe you just always moved on. I think I was very lucky. Come on, I, I must have been lucky because I had the double worry of being a female and and foreign. Um, but it, it didn't affect me. I don't think. Funny, I don't think being Indian made any difference. But one did get a bit of a stigma being a woman. Interesting. So, what's over over your career? What's inspired you? You've clearly been quite quite driven to have achieved so much. Um, what or who has inspired you to? Well I, um, well, I think certainly my mother must have inspired me. Um, and I always regret not having said thank you, because you never do to a mother, do you? Mm. Um, but also, I think the support I had from my husband, which was amazing. Um, and then I think in terms of medical things, um, a lot of people, and often my role models were male. Uh, I think Tony Dawson was one. Um, Mike Clark, because he obviously, um, you know, helped me with my research and was a supervisor. Uh, quite a male chauvinist supervisor, which in a way taught me how not to do things. <laughs> um, and, um, God, I hope he won't be listening to this. But... But, you know, to um, to write the book, there was just process. I mean, so you just, the minute you met, you just sat down and wrote. And then the minute you finished, you went and, you know, went a different different life. Um, so I, I think there were no no major down. I'd probably think of one afterwards. Okay. Well, I I think that's all, that's all good. That's all very positive. So, so you, you've talked about... Um, people that have helped you along the way. One of the things that's clearly been important to you has been, has been your family um, and the, the, the balancing act that you must have learned to do. Um, is there anything that you want to say about that for people who, who maybe are embarking on a similar journey? Um, I, think, I think possibly I got it wrong. I think your family must come first. They came first with me. But I would make sure that they were all right so I could go and see, you know, you're on at nights and you didn't want to leave them. But, you know, David and I, we were a team. You've been extraordinarily successful. You, you are now a dame. Um, 
you're very well known in medicine. And to, to those women who aspire and, and maybe are slightly worried about how they might achieve similar success, is there anything that you would say to them, any piece of advice that you might give to those coming through? I think the business, biggest piece of advice is that success comes in different ways. Now, you know, is a dame a success? Uh, I think it's a success for the people around me. Uh, you know, I would say with the, the, the PAs and the secretaries, and I've kept up with them all these years, and been so lucky, I think I've had them for 30, 40 years, uh, and we're a team. And they really should be given the, the dame, but not me. You know? I mean, no, really, because they... They pushed me around doing whatever I did. So success is different and um, success is really what you want to do and what you want to see. advice for the next advice, generation? Advice is, is be yourself uh, and be honest and be self-critical, I think, as well, to make sure that you're not doing the, the, the wrong thing. And I think uh, be kind, be kind to everybody. And I've just been incredibly lucky, I think, if you smile and... It's, um, there is one thing I would say. If you're leading a team, remember it's the first morning hello. If you can smile and say, hello, everybody, you know, you know how are you? Did you have a good day or good evening or something? If you, that, that mood from the head really transmits all the way down and then it'll be a happy day for everybody. So I think it's, it's, it's the way you lead your team. Uh, that's important. Parveen Kumar, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. There are many more medical women talking in this series of podcasts. Please have a listen to some of the other inspiring women. You'll definitely find something to inspire you.